Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Good evening and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. You're with Talk, we're on TV, we're on radio, we're online and we're on your smart speaker, of course. Coming up, Lawless Britain. Brazen shoplifters are costing me, you, and £9 million a year. Keir Starmer is set to embrace the nanny state to win the next election. How, you ask? Apparently he wants to supervise your kids brushing their teeth. And a Talk TV exclusive has found civil servants are attending a woke counter-terrorism course which is both politically biased and anti-government. No doubt terrorists are now running scared. Good evening, Britain, and welcome to the brand new 2024 version of the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, right here on Talk TV. And we've got one hell of a show for you tonight. We're kicking off with an expose of the crime epidemic that is sweeping through Britain. Crash! Brutal smash and grab Rolex gangs are launching daily raids. Bang! The shoplifting craze is costing London nine million quid a month. Wallop! Thousands of people are being targeted in their own homes, and our streets are more dangerous than they have ever been. We bring you the exclusive they all wanted. We've got Anna Stanley, the whistleblower, who blew the woke civil servant scandal wide open this week. She'll tell us how they're all being indoctrinated to believe calling Hamas a terrorist group might be problematic. And I've got some advice for Gary Lineker. Plus, I'll be asking, what's up with Wales? Fasten your seatbelts, people. This is going to be a blast. This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. We're coming at you and we're taking no prisoners. <laughs> I mean, calling a terrorist a terrorist is not problematic, is it? Unless you're a complete and utter moron, I don't think you'd be saying it. Please get in touch with me. The Republic's phone lines and the mailroom are open for business. Call us on 0344 499 1000. You can text the word TALK plus your message to 87222. Tweet me at TALK TV using the hashtag IROMG. Now, up and down the country, day after day, we're exposed to more criminality. Just yesterday, a jeweller's in London, Anthony James, which has been going for three generations, was subjected to a horrific raid where the thugs armed with sledgehammers went for the Rolexes. Joining me now to discuss this crime wave, former Scotland Yard detective Peter Blexley and former police superintendent Leroy Logan. But first, I'd like to speak to Talk TV's very own star, Lizzie Cundy, who earlier this week experienced a horrific ordeal as her home was burgled at night while she was still in the house. Lizzie, um, I'm glad to see you here. I'm glad to see you looking okay. Thanks, Mike. Sorry for what happened. Um, I saw your post on Facebook. Something horrific. You were in the bath. Yeah. You heard a noise. 
Mm. Turned out there were some people at the back door trying to break in. Tell yes. Us. Well, I just got back from a trip away yeah. in Barbados. Uh, I had no food in the house. I went to a friend's for dinner. Right. And a bit jet-lagged, thought, go and ha get an early night. Yeah. Just went upstairs, jumped in the bath. Mm. And then I heard some noises and I thought, oh, my word, someone's trying to get in the house. Right. And I just froze with fear. It yeah. was actually... Were you on, the, on your own? I was on my own, yeah. yeah. And, and I'm glad, actually, the boys weren't there mm. because I... I it could be very different circumstances. And um, what happened, thankfully, I live in a very rural village. Right. A farmer had seen these two lads around the house mm. acting suspiciously and literally rang the police. They came, thankfully, in minutes, right. but they scared these guys and they literally, their car, they zoomed out of my drive, right. went down the verge, through my gates and fence, Dragging and the there's bin. a picture of the car there. Yeah. See it. I mean, it looks horrific. It was, and I heard this big bang and noise, and obviously I'm still sitting there terrified right. in the bath, not right. knowing if they're in the house or what's well, what. Well, what could on. you hear? Did you, did you did it sound like they were coming in a door? Or it, they, they were definitely coming through my door, right. and they got they had were trying to get through the back door, which mm. is ruined. Um, yeah. And they were uh, thankfully for this farmer that spotted them, mm. and they reversed out of the drive so fast that they overturned, flipped their car and Amazing. legged it. And the, the police were there very quickly. Mm. But what's frightening, what the police found in the car, which was a lot of uh, stolen items, right. a lot of farmers' equipment right. and also a rifle, yeah. uh, and which is so horrifying yeah. and, and makes me... I'm, I'm just still in shock, actually. Well, it is terrible. It. Yeah. I mean, I've had... Burglaries, you know, we've all experienced crime at some point or other, unfortunately, in our lives, and it's a horrific yeah. time, isn't it? Because you just feel like your home is no longer your your yeah. safe kind of, you know, haven. Well, that yeah. You can't actually sit there and I, expect nothing to happen. It, it was unbelievable, Mike, and you never think it's going to happen to you. And the most frightening thing is when the police came over, what was in their car? Mm. And, and rural crime has gone up 22.1%, right. and it costs like £49.5 million now. It's gone up so yeah. much, and it's not just in London, it's spreading everywhere. And I live in a very sleepy village. You'd yeah. never think this would happen. But to think there was a rifle in the back of that mm. car, and I'm just glad my boys weren't there because they yeah. could have gone out and you just don't know what could have happened. No, of course. Peter Blexley's here as well as Leroy Logan. Peter, I mean, this is a terrible story. We know Lizzie, of course, but it's happening probably to an awful lot of people that we don't know um, on a regular basis, right? Yes, and you touch on a very big problem when it comes to crime statistics mm. because so much crime is not being reported to the police right. because people think they're not going to get any kind of response or investigation mm. and therefore it's a waste of time. But anyway, praise where it's due. A neighbourly, community-minded, wonderful farmer. Huge credit to that courageous man. Yeah. And the police responded swiftly and we've heard today that they are going to do a full forensic examination of that vehicle. Mm. I sincerely hope there's a lot of blood inside it with which they might be able to retrieve some DNA profiles. So hopefully some lines of investigation which will be followed up promptly and professionally, and hopefully they can be identified and some justice can be handed. Yes, down. but the problem is, I mean, we've got so much crime going on at the moment, Leroy. I mean, there's a story out today in The Standard saying that shoplifting alone is costing London something like, you know, nine million um, a month in terms of what's being stolen. <laughs> I'm reading stories about police recording robbery offences increasing by 11% compared to the same time last year. Offences involving knives or sharp instruments increasing by 3%. Firearms offences increasing by 13%. Seems like everywhere you look, Everything's going up. Yeah. Well, I think it's um, 
a reflection of society. You know, it, there seems to be a lot of um, envy and covetousness and people saying, well, I want this, yeah. and I'm not going to work for it. And they're just going to take it. So they're just um, storming someone's house, burglar them, or they, they storm into a shop en masse, or they pick on people on the street yeah. who are dressed well, and they think, yeah, we'll have that. And it's not necessarily they're part of some organised crime. It's just a question of they're opportunistic or they spotted someone and they followed them off. And where there's no CCTV or any form of uh, witnesses, they, they pounce. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we, we're seeing on a regular basis. And then I suppose um, some people feel justified because, well, I've lost my job or I haven't got um, any means of maintaining my family or whatever it may be yeah. or myself and they, they, they can justify it to themselves. And it's that false justification yeah. is getting more and more prevalent. Or yeah. they're just greedy, unscrupulous, lazy, bone-idle people who won't get up and go to work and decide that nicking other people's kit but, is fair game, when, of course, it isn't. But also, we have to accept that the police have surrendered the streets to the criminals it seems because that way. they do not patrol anymore. Yeah. But, they're too busy going from yeah. one call to another... Yeah. Consequently, foot patrols, vehicle patrols, merely looking to prevent and detect crime are not happening. You see, in our village, we've now got a, a WhatsApp group and right. we have a Facebook group of the village. Have so you even got a police station anywhere near We used to have the local Bobby. That right. knew everyone and he'd, he'd go into the local pub. He'd, he'd know if there was a bit of skullduggery. Right. He'd know people's names. He knew if there was a bit of trouble. But we haven't got him anymore. Because these guys that have tried to do your place will have tried other places they, or done other tried. places in the area, right? And, and this is the trouble because the sentencing, there is none. And if right. you still, you know, now you get a slap on the wrist for mm. theft, you're not getting a sentence. Yeah. And they just re-offend, and that is the trouble. Yeah. They're just going and doing it because they know they're not going to get I mean, I've any got punishment. so many... I mean, I put out a tweet this, this morning, basically, saying, look, we were going to talk about this. And I've had so many um, messages from people about things that have happened. And everything from, you know, um, a, a shop in, in Bristol where apparently people say, um, you know, homeless people just go in there in the mornings and take whatever they want and just wander out with it. Um, and there's a Greg's apparently in Bristol where people just come in and, and, and sweep the shelves clean and the staff don't do anything about it. Today I've got another story here. Um, a hooded thug's launched frenzied attack on a man and a woman in front of a young child uh, down in Sidcup, straight just out in the open air. Nobody knows why. They just started to attack them. The man who was attacked for his watch yeah. in that Sidcup attack yeah. had a three-year-old child yeah. with him. Right. Okay, and I've watched all the video yes. time and time again. It is utterly appalling. Yeah. Like yourself, Mike, I have a small public profile mm. and particularly connected to policing. Yeah. I get horror stories yeah. on a daily basis from victims of crime. Mm. Not only horror stories about what's happened to them, but often incredibly disappointing, and I'm being polite, yes. disappointing stories about the standard of police investigation if they got one at all. Now, I know... Many of the frontline cops are young in years yeah. and young in service. Yes. But, of course, they're not being tutored by experienced police officers. So, quite frankly, we have the blind leading the right. partially sighted and all of us, as a great British public, are being failed. Well, you put out a tweet, didn't you, about um, uh, that show that's on TV, a picture of a police officer with a Mohican. Yeah. Now, uh, I think we've got that picture. We can look at it in a minute. Um, but the point is, is that if you've got police walking around who look like villains... And I'm sorry to say that that's what the guy looks like or looks like a punk rocker or something. You know, people who are going to be committing crime are not going to go, oh, well, that's all right. He's one of us. We'll, well get on with him. An, well, inspector, yeah. an inspector from Bedfordshire Police contacted me as a result of that tweet, which was viewed 4.6 million yeah. times. So there was a lot of people have a lot to say about it. Mm. 
Um, and he now has got rid of that haircut and I'm told Good. he's a decent police officer. Yeah. But it doesn't detract from the fact that when he was walking around that police station and patrolling or, or sorry, working as a police officer, engaging with members of the public, that was how he looked. Yeah, yeah exactly right. Leroy, you're, you, you and I have spoken before about knife crime and, and youth crime and that kind of thing. I've got this from Sophie. who uh, said, my stepdad works at a leisure centre. He had to get a boy out because he threatened to throw bricks at staff and stab people with a knife because he was throwing stuff at the building and injuring people and the police did nothing. It was down to the staff to take care of it. Well, that, that's the problem, as we've already said. It, not enough citizens focus cops, community cops, yeah. on a regular basis patrolling areas, building up those relationships, will know who's doing what and where. When they got rid of safer neighbour teams through austerity, that was a massive, massive failure because you're now you've got barriers instead of bridges with the community. Yeah. And But it's not just the community anymore. It seems to be everywhere. You yeah, can't yeah. say, yeah. you know, it's worse in, in, in a city, London, than it is... It's everywhere. Well, I, mean, I mean, in London, I mean, we've got the, the, the results of, uh, you know, the Mayor of London, a, a thousand murders under yeah. his watch, which is yeah. disgraceful. Yeah. Um, but now it's going further afield. And where I live, it is such a sleepy little village. You'd never believe such a crime. Do you think you might have to move? Crime. Well, I am worried. And, and Peter said something to me with me posting on Instagram yeah. with people knowing I'm away. Yeah. Have I kind of caused this in a way? Yeah. And, no, no, you haven't caused it. Those those. I'm just tempering my language. I know, I know. Those people in that stolen car attempted to right. burgle but your house. But do you house. not think that the whole of the prison service isn't working? We are not educating them. If they they're do not being get put in, put it, no, they're not getting they're not. rehabilitated. And when they're in prison, they're allowed to play PlayStation, you know, watch a bit of TV. Surely we should educate them. And like Tipsons, who which, uh, make boots and key cutting, give them actually a job when they mm. come out of prison. Because when they do, they don't get a credit card, they can't get a job. And all they do and all they know is crime. The entire criminal justice system is failing us. Yeah. If we go from the front line, which is policing, then we go to the CPS, an organisation which is not um, called the Criminal Protection Service for nothing by some people, then we go to the courts, crumbling, so many of the buildings not fit for purpose and so many sentencing guidelines that are quite frankly lamentable so people are not being punished accordingly. Then we go to the prisons where we know that short prison sentences largely only serve to educate people more in the ways of criminality. Long sentences work because people can then get on courses, confront their offending, show some remorse and try and turn their lives around. So the whole criminal justice system, I forgot probation as well, let's not leave that yeah. out of the criticism while I'm at it. Um, and consequently, we are all a bit more at risk, we're all a bit less safe than we used to be. Yeah. And we're all a lot more sort of sensible about, I suppose, walking around London. I don't like it. I mean, I lived no. in New York in the 80s, right? I was there before Giuliani fixed it. And it was terrible, you know, because people would get on the subway and you just get, you know, tourists getting rolled. You'd see it happening. The people walking through Times Square, these groups of youths would just knock people over, take everything they could get and run off. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like, like the world Everyone's going to be streetwise. Yeah. yeah. And that's the thing. I'm not saying, please shouldn't be doing their jobs and security um, people in shops and everything. But we have to be aware. Even when I was on, um, the, on the tube at London Bridge, um, I had to do a, an urgent message to someone and I'm looking around. Yeah. Just in case someone yeah. takes the phone. Sure. So, you know, we all well, it happened have to... Alex to... Phillips, our, you know, our very That's own Alex it. Phillips. I mean, somebody tried, she luckily yeah. didn't get it, but somebody tried to take her phone in the middle of Oxford Street, yeah. middle of the day, and something like 50-odd thousand phones a year are getting stolen. Yeah. 
Because if anybody, I tell my kids, if you come to London, don't get your phone out. I know, but why, is, you, why, why is the mayor of London concentrating on you, Les, and taxing us no, at any 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 way he can? And yet, look at what's going on—the yeah. knife crime. And he's saying on the tubes about the staring. Remember, he's yeah, yeah. there. What about the stabbing? Yeah. What about the stabbing? Yeah, staring is less worrying than stabbing. Yes. And, and apparently, also, a lot of kids uh, during the, uh, the the Winter Wonderland uh, thing that went on down at Hyde Park Corner, mm-hmm. Hyde Park Corner Station was basically a no-go zone because all these kids are just getting on uh, the tube. They're not paying. They're vaping. If anybody goes anywhere near them, they threaten them and say, we'll beat you up, we'll stab you, or we'll kick uh, kick you in the head. You know, I mean, I get this, I just get a sense that's very similar to what it was like yeah. in New York City in the 80s, yeah. where, it, where you literally were in fear of your life if you went to certain it's parts. It's become like the Wild the West, yeah. hasn't it? It and, really has. And it took the commissioner of the Transport Police, mm. Bill Bratton, in yeah. New York City, together with the support of Rudy Giuliani, yeah. to invoke the broken window yes. theory. exactly. Um, which, of course, actually started with regards to the squeegee mm. people yeah. at traffic lights. Yeah. That's how they actually I started them too. clamping down yeah. on that and then it broadened out to other things and was very successful in reducing crime and increasing people's sense of feeling safe. The bottom line is now, in many, many parts of the UK, if you get your phone stolen, your bike stolen, your car stolen, your house burgled, or you're a shopkeeper who's plagued by shoplifting, or the elephant in the room that doesn't get mentioned, you're a victim of fraud, which is at completely rampant epidemic levels, then in all likelihood, you will not get a police investigation, you'll probably get a number issued yeah. to you. Mm. So consequently, the police have turned their backs on the moderate majority of people who suffer these types of yeah. crimes. And so respect for police has absolutely gone through the floor and nobody trusts yeah. them or those numbers are decreasing hugely. There has got to be a complete reset of the criminal justice system, and it has to happen soon because things are utterly unacceptable. Well, I I would like to think, because the Met's in special measures, like a few other force areas, they are actually being supported to get the basics right. So part of that is getting the experienced cops who are deployed community, um, crime squads, all these specialist units, to start getting more proactive because, as we've already Peter's already said, it's just reactive, firefighting-type policing. And then the the other key thing is we we need to have the mayor really looking at priorities because you can't have the streets rampant with all sorts of criminals and you're dealing with the aesthetics. So we need to get back to basics, not just the Met, but the mayor. And and I know other municipal mayors around around the country is looking at re-evaluating yeah. because but we can't carry on this way. Can I ask how do you help in the rural areas? Because you haven't got... It's more easy access. Yeah, exactly. You haven't got the cameras. There you aren't the police patrols. Well, I'm going to what depress you, you all even more just to finish up because we've got to run. Um, apparently, down at the Old Bailey today, uh, three murder trial victims were wrongly cleared because the jury, uh, when they put up the, uh, the, the foreman of the jury to give the verdict to the judge, they got it wrong. And instead of finding them guilty, she said, we found them not guilty. And you go, sorry? How does that work? Anyway, uh, listen, Lizzie, great to see you. Thank, Thank you very you. much for being Peter Blexley, Leroy Logan as well. Uh, we're going to be doing this a lot, I get a sense of, uh, of, of that for sure. Uh, but taking no prisoners is what we do here. This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Up next, the Tories are in turmoil as they try to fight two by-elections on the same day. And Rishi's trying to drag his Rwanda bill through the Commons. It's all coming up next.
The oncoming general election, whatever it may be, is looming. Uh, Labour looks a bit like an itchy red blanket creeping towards number 10 slowly. Meanwhile, the Tories appear to be copying Einstein, but not the clever bits, just the famous quote of doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. This is the ingenious strategy of two by-elections in one day. When they tried this back in October, they lost both seats to Labour, but apparently it just might work this time. Joining me to discuss uh, this in the studio, talk to me, political correspondent Lisa Fitzgerald, and editor of Spiked Online, Tom Slater. Welcome to both of you. Good evening to you. Uh, just a little bit of breaking news before we get to that. Prime Minister uh, Rishi Sunak apparently has held a cabinet briefing over the Houthi attacks, and Britain is expected, it says here, to join the US in carrying airstrikes onto Houthi military positions in Yemen tonight. Uh, so there may well be some kind of military intervention uh, to report while this show is actually on the air. Of course, if anything like that does happen, uh, I will let you know. Uh, and they be are believed to be consulting uh, Sir Lindsay Hall, the common speaker, and the opposition have been briefed, of course, as well. Alicia, um, obviously that's a breaking story. Don't expect you to know too much mm -hmm. about what's happening, but it looks very much as though Britain has made some noises this morning and, and they're carrying that through to this evening. And, and, and I know that a lot of military guests that have been on the shows throughout the day today on Talk TV have been saying... It can't go on the way it is going on. There will have to be strikes to some extent on Yemen. Definitely. So Rishi Sunak has held this emergency cabinet meeting, which he doesn't do very often. Yeah. It's only in these absolute emergencies. Obviously, it's pretty late in the evening. Um, lots of MPs are actually not even in Westminster at this time. So for him to do that, it has to be a pretty big deal. And this is all about the idea that the UK may potentially weigh in with the United States uh, in, in kind of contributing to those airstrikes. And we were just at an, uh, at an event right. from the Speaker of the House of Commons. He was mm. holding an event for journalists and he actually had to leave pretty swiftly. Right. A car came and picked him up to go and attend this cabinet briefing. Right, so. OK. So, so Tom, you know, I don't know what it means for the general sort of uh, good of the, of, the, of the nation or the world, but, mm. um, I mean, these Houthi strikes are, are becoming quite problematic, aren't they? I was listening to... Um, uh, one of our military experts today who said all these uh, taking all these drones out of the air with, with quite expensive missiles is a very expensive way of doing it because it costs the Houthis nothing really, mm -hmm. but it costs us an awful lot. It's a very expensive way of doing it, but also the stakes are very high in this mm. situation. Anyone thinks this has nothing to do with us here in the UK, it's just something in far-flung places. Yeah. You know, what's been going on in that part of the world could easily lead to another cost of living crisis, right. or at least to put the current cost of living right. crisis on steroids because of what's been happening to shipping. So it was only a matter of time, it seems like, before yeah. something like this was going to happen. Well, we'll keep a close eye on it. So let's go back to, to the matter at hand, which is double trouble for Rishi Sunak, two by-elections in the same day. Yeah. Um, has he not learned from what happened last time? Well, that's it. So we'll remember last year, we kind of had a string of by-elections, lots of which happening all on the same day. And pretty overall, it was just catastrophic mm. for the Conservative Party. Lots of them went to Labour, a couple to the Lib Dems. The Conservatives actually only kept one of their seats, and that was the Uxbridge and yeah. South Ryslip seats, which is Boris Johnson's former constituency. The rest of them were really, really quite mm. severe losses. And now Rishi Sunak has more. We've got Chris Skidmore. That is the MP. He's the former energy minister that we heard about last week. He resigned yeah. because he didn't agree with Rishi Sunak's stance on net zero. He was really pro net zero. He's really uh, big on climate change. And he just thought that licensing more uh, noil uh, oil, North Sea oil and yeah. gas licenses. It's a good short version of it. <laughs> there we go. It's a good way to summarise. It us right through it, yeah. But this is the thing. I mean, you know, Skidmore is one of those Tories who probably shouldn't really be the Tory party, isn't he? Well, it was interesting, actually. It was on Talk TV. It was with Rosanna Lockwood. Alex Shelbrook, he's a Conservative Party yeah. um, MP, and he actually said that he thinks Chris Skidmore should have crossed the floor yeah. to the Labour Party rather than actually mm. step down as an MP altogether mm. because he says now the trouble is, is his voice won't be heard whatsoever, at least when you're in there, you have a voice as an MP and you right. can put your points across, but he kind of 
said that the best idea would have been to support right. the Labour Party in this. Exactly. And Tom, is there any sort of saving grace for, for, for Rishi Sunak now as opposed to last October? I mean, has anything happened that might put him in a slightly better position? I can't really think of anything. No, not in the slightest. And also it's worth pointing out that Wellingborough and Kingswood, these two by-elections which are coming up, their majorities are actually smaller mm. than what we saw in Tamworth and Mid-Bedfordshire, yeah. which um, went both to the Labour Party. And also it's just, it's just something which underlines that kind of general sense of decay and drift on the part of the party. The fact that some of the players involved are quite disreputable. I mean, Chris Skidmore, I mean, the seat that he's stepping down from isn't going to exist in about nine months' time. Right. He could easily have just resigned the whip continue to serve his constituents. And wait get, for the next election. But he's inflicted this by-election. It's going to cost like a quarter of a million pounds to actually hold. Right. And because of the fact that the Tories aren't ushering in green austerity on quite the timetable he would like them to. Yeah. And he wants to spend a bit more time with his very lucrative environmental consultancy positions. That <laughs> That's the first instance, time I've heard that so. one. So I want to spend more time with a very lucrative it's, side I think that's that part of the equation get. here, definitely. Yeah. A couple of um, Conservative MPs I've even heard saying as well, and lots of them have even said it to me, is they think that new rules should be introduced, that if you're in an election year and you know an election yeah. is coming up, MPs shouldn't be allowed to voluntarily trigger by-elections. Right. It's different, obviously, with Peter Bone. That is the other by-election mm -hmm. coming up. He was expelled right. from the party because of sexual assault mm. and all that, allegations. Yeah. Um, which, he keeps saying it's not, he's not guilty of it. Well, but, this is it, yeah, just to know. stress that he does deny all of the allegations mm. made, but a watchdog did find that he was guilty right. of it. So, you know, you can you can choose what side you're on there. It's totally up to you. That situation's different. He didn't have a choice mm. but to have a by-election. He was effectively yeah. ousted. Chris Skidmore has resigned, and that was totally up to him. No-one forced him right. to. There was nothing there. So lots of MPs are actually saying, hang on, do we need some new rules here? Yeah. We've got an election in the Because you could have next... another half a dozen do that before the mm. summer. There's nothing you, stopping anyone. Just to make anyone. a point or to yeah, bounce or just out. To, or just to <laughs> get out. Mm. Although, presumably, I think if you lose a by-election... Do you not get paid off to some extent? You get some kind of payoff, don't you? Mm. Um, like, I don't know, it's 40,000. You get some kind of pension, don't you, if you lose the by election? So if you hang in there um, to the general election, you probably get some kind of benefit out of it, don't you? I guess so. You could look at it like that, but it's really probably quite bleak to mm. think I'm, I mean, that I'm clutching at straws here. <laughs> I'm thinking, what are they all going to do? Because there must be loads of Tory MPs who are currently sitting there thinking, I don't really want to be here. I don't really want to sit through this for the next mm. few months. I really need to find myself something before everybody's looking for the same job. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it makes a lot of sense that they don't actually do much of what they're meant to be paid to do. Well, as Tom just mentioned, there's a big industry in green lobbyists mm. at the moment. Yeah, uh, so I'm sure they're Chris hiring. Gizmore's probably not too worried <laughs> yeah. uh, about what he's going to do. And Rishi Sunak's still trying to hold his party together mm -hmm. over Rwanda. He hasn't really made many inroads there either, has he? Because he's faced with people saying, we're not going to vote this through mm -hmm. uh, unless you change it. And then the other half saying, if you do change it, we're not going to vote it through. No, he's really walking a tightrope there. So there's, yeah. there's 40 Conservative rebels who have said they're going yeah. to back what, these four amendments which are around toughening up the Rwanda bill. I mean, there's a, a suite of specific things, but generally trying to keep the European court out of um, this particular piece of legislation, as well as making it very difficult for individual asylum seekers mm -hmm. to make legal claims to try and stop their yeah. own deportation. So there's 40 MPs who are going to back those. But as you say, there's also the sort of one nation part of the Conservative Party, the alleged left of the Conservative Party, who are saying basically not one more inch. Some right. of them are even interested in trying to soften up the bill mm. even further. I mean, Rishi Sunak is trying to talk as if he's hanging tough. The sources within government are trying to suggest that, you know, we'll play footsie with the right, but ultimately we right. can't give them anything. Is that going to hold? I'm not sure. They can't get these amendments over the line in them themselves, these rebels, but they right. can at least 
do a show of strength and say, we could vote this down if you don't play ball. Right. But it's all hanging in the balance. It is. And are reform doing anything? These two by-elections, are they going to bother trying to sort of make, any, make any inroads? I mean, they're definitely going to try. I mean, we've always said this. Reform have a threat, but in a very specific way. It's not so much that we're going to be seeing mm. reform MPs in Parliament. I mean, we might obviously can't predict that 100%, but the, the, the numbers don't yeah. make it look super mm. likely. It's more splitting the vote share. It's more, you know, if, if people who would vote Conservative but don't feel like they're hardline enough suddenly defect to reform, yeah. it will bump the Labour Party's opportunities in these seats. So it's, so it's really interesting. And as you said about the Rwanda thing, that is a big voting point. It's a big issue yeah. for lots of people. Lots of people look at this legislation who are really, really not pro-illegal migration, but look at that and just think, for goodness sake, this yeah. is so costly. Yeah. We've had no migrants sent to Rwanda and there's still such a lengthy parliamentary mm. process for it. We've got this vote on Tuesday and there's a big chance it could be toppled, but even if it's not, yeah. there's still so many steps before it even gets And there's still, I mean, I was hearing somebody today trying to sort of explain exactly what the, the, the methods would be used to stop people getting on planes and who would not be allowed to get on a plane and it was sort of down to pregnant women and people with disabilities. And you're kind of going... Right, so how many of uh, those are you going to be trying to deport in the first place? It's just all over the place, isn't it? It really is, and, and as we were just saying, this big split in the Conservative Party is the biggest issue for Rishi Sunak at the moment. He's said that between that last vote before Christmas and now, his mission really was to try and unite the party, but yeah. I'm really hearing that there's not been a whole lot of effort there to actually do that, and there's not been much change. Right. People still are totally divided on this. We've got the new Conservatives, those, are, those on the right um, kind of group, Jonathan Gullis, Lee Anderson, characters like that. And then we've got the One Nation Conservatives yeah. who outnumber the new Conservatives and those on the right marginally. But it's just this big loggerheads between the two. They totally disagree on where yeah. this should be going with this. And this vote's on Tuesday. Exactly it's very right. soon. And as far as this by, these two by-elections are concerned, Tom, I mean, Labour expecting to win them? Is that something that Keir Starmer would be disappointed with not getting two wins? Well, I think especially given the fact that the kind of by-election swings they've seen in recent years. I mean, the one in Mid-Bedfordshire was like their biggest yeah. by-election swing from the Tories since 1945. That's yeah. how in the toilet the Tory party is <laughs> in this country at the moment. And as we all know, this is not because Keir Starmer is inspiring the nation, setting heartbeat, no. racing, hope and change and, you know, singing from the hillsides. He's the most incredibly anti-charisma, anti-political yeah. kind of figure. He's just there waiting for the Tory party to collapse so he can sneak into right. 10 Downing Street. But given how much the Tories have just... Basically, everything they've touched has kind of turned to right. dust in recent years. They, the funny they're giving sort of thing as well. He was quite... He, he, you could sort of take his argument that he was a safe pair of hands if Boris Johnson was still in, in power. But since it's Rishi Sunak, mm -hmm. who's also seen as a sort of safe pair of hands, he doesn't quite have the same selling point, does he? No, for sure. And this is this has been it. It was how long will Keir Starmer's big move just be riding yeah. off the back of Conservative Party failure? And I think so far, even in this new year, in January so far, we haven't seen that shift. Lots of voters just want to hear some concrete policy from Keir Starmer. They want to know exactly what's going to happen and when. Mm -hmm. And I think for a very long time, he, he could have just done nothing. And we, I've said this yeah. to you before on your show. Yeah, yeah. Keir Starmer could have done absolutely nothing and he probably would still be where he is in the polls just because there have been a lot of errors yeah. in the Conservative Party management. But... At some point, that may not be enough. I'm not saying necessarily that he won't win the election, but it may not be enough to get that massive no. landslide that everyone no. is saying I, that see, could, I, know, could I, I think that's going to be a lot more difficult for him than, than a lot of people say. At least you good to see you. Thank you very much indeed, Tom. Good to see you as well. This is the sparkling independent republic of Mike Graham. Coming up, the wokeness that has spread through government like a cancer as the civil service has been exposed for holding more woke seminars, plus Labour's embrace of the nanny state. Do not go anywhere.
Welcome back. You're watching the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. A civil service insider has explicitly revealed that a woke counter-terrorism course is being delivered to civil servants. It warns them that labelling terrorism as terrorism is problematic because it implies moral judgment. It's then asked participants to consider Hamas as, wait for it, freedom fighters. I'm joined now by the former civil servant who brought this story to light, Anna Stanley. Anna, thank you very much indeed for joining us. Welcome to the Independent Republican Mike Graham. Um, We've been talking about Thanks. this story all day today on uh, on Talk TV, so I'm very pleased that, that we're able to get you on to actually give it some context. I mean, it seems incredible that senior civil servants from the Foreign Office, the Department of uh, Defence, the Home Office, would be going to these kind of seminars at King's College um, almost because they've been ordered to do so, to listen to this kind of claptrap. I mean, what did you make of it all? I mean, to be honest, um, first of all, thanks for having me on. I'm such a fan of your show, and I know Thank my mum is too. Um, to be honest, the response to my uh, article has been really uh, vindicating and affirming, because to be quite honest, um, I was really the only person in the room, it felt like, um, who thought there was quite um, a lot of things wrong mm. with the teaching um, and a lot of things that, yeah, I was privy to there. Um, and so, yeah, it was very existentially depressing and, and quite alienating to be on that course and, and feel, uh, feel that. Um, so, yeah, it's been really affirming um, knowing that there's a lot of people who agree that what went on and what was said by some of the lecturers was really um, quite appalling and worrisome. Yeah. And when you say you were one of the few people who sort of seemed to find that it was a bit weird and something wrong was going on, what was everybody else doing then? Does that, are you saying that many of the civil servants who were there were sort of nodding along sagely? Yeah, I mean, people really seem to be enjoying it quite a lot. I mean, like I said in the article, there was one occasion uh, where one of the attendees professed on two different occasions, actually, that one, her brother was uh, radicalised um, as a jihadi in Syria. And then later on that she knew someone who was actually on a jihadi advertisement. Um, and even that I was quite gobsmacked mm. by, um, especially because she wasn't saying it in a way that was kind of um, embarrassed or anything like that. Uh, and as for the lecturer, Peter, uh, Professor Newman, um, the comment that he made about uh, Douglas Murray and Joe Rogan about wanting them to be suppressed, um, I was so shocked when I heard that. I was really taken aback. Um, and honestly, throughout the course, I was constantly looking around the room, kind of like mouth agape. And I just wasn't getting any feedback from anyone else um, that they found it at all concerning. Yeah, well, Douglas Murray's actually spoken to us today as well. And I think we can see what he has to say about what he's discovered, because he's pretty shocked. I think he's contacting his lawyers apart from anything else. Yeah. I would like King's College London to... Oh, sorry. Have we missed that? <laughs> Douglas. No, uh, we'll get Douglas back in a minute. Oh, uh, we have got it. Yeah, let's do it. I would like King's College London to carry out an urgent review, and I would like them to suspend Peter Newman, the man in question, until we find out exactly why he was doing this, what he meant by it. It's deeply sinister. I've got my lawyers looking into this already. I would like the government to look into it. I'd like King's College London to look into it. I think that's fair enough because, um, you know, sort of stopping somebody's views being um, shared by other means because you can't block yeah. them on social media. What did you think he meant? 
It's, it's really scary. I mean, to be honest, I can completely identify with why <laughs> Douglas Murray is, is taking that kind of action. Um, I think it's it's less to do with the, the professor as a person um, and more to do with what he represents and the type of ideological worldview that he represents. I don't think he explicitly intended um, those words to be as sinister as they sound. I really think um, he kind of just spoke, you know, ad lib very freely and really just kind of revealed um, the type of thoughts um, and inclinations that a lot of people have um, within academia, um, this inclination towards suppress uh, suppressing people they deem to be far right. Um, and that is how he portrayed Douglas Murray and Joe Rogan. Um, as well as um, the, the reviewer of Prevent, William Shawcross, um, as referring to all counterterrorism professionals as woke. He's of that ilk, he said. Um, so I completely understand why Douglas Murray is taking those steps, um, but I think it represents a wider problem. And the fact that uh, this lecturer felt comfortable enough to say this to civil servants yeah. and that no other civil servant mentioned anything is, is deeply concerning. It really is. Anna, stay where you are if you, moment, if you would, because I want to just bring in my panel, political commentator Mike Indians here, um, video comment editor at The Telegraph, Steve Edgington, and author and journalist Laura Dosworth. Laura, let me just start with you. I mean, um, does the woke academ academia now consider it to be sort of de rigueur to say that Hamas are freedom fighters and, and Israel is a terrorist state? Is that now sort of the, uh, the, the, the considered opinion of uh, academics in Britain? Of course it is. We saw that as soon as the attacks happened on the mm. 7th of October. We had student unions sending around awful, nasty, glib cartoons of paragliders, which were just downright racist and harassing towards uh, the Jews among their, um, you know, their student unions who are normally encouraged to have safe spaces. We saw academics around the world tweet things like decolonization is not a metaphor. What did you think it meant? I mean, the rot is very deep. And Anna's expose um, in the Fathom Journal is absolutely excellent. And it's a huge red flag. And it shows that this flag has been planted very deeply mm. by woke ideologues who are running the show in British institutions and even at the heart of the government and the civil service. What was obvious in Anna's article, you know, the fact that they can't distinguish between a freedom fighter and a terrorist shows that they've become completely morally flaccid. This sort of conversation about, oh, what's the difference between a freedom fighter and a terrorist is the kind of thing you expect an A-level student in a sixth form mm. common room to talk about. Yeah. In a democratic society in which free speech is the bedrock, you change the society using lawful methods. Terrorists use unlawful intimidation and violence to force political change. The difference is very clear. Yeah. And the fact they would describe Hamas as freedom fighters is deeply concerning. But this is not an isolated report. You know, on your show, many times we've talked about the kind of moral flaccidity and wokery in the civil service. Um, a few examples just, you know, just recently, Last year, the Research Information and Communication Unit put together a list of books which would be triggered as right-wing extremism. Yeah. It included recent troublemaker Douglas Murray, but also George Orwell, Aldous Huxley, C.S. Lewis, Tolkien. You know, if the idea that reading Narnia makes you a right-wing 
right-wing extremist. Yeah. According to people who work for the government, you are in serious trouble. And the counter-disinformation unit during COVID was monitoring scientists, journalists, and even MPs oh. for dissent. Not the type of dissent that you think that those sorts of people should be worried about, such as wearing um, suicide vests yeah, as government or, or buildings actually, or stabbing yeah, or propagating people. Violence, no, yeah. no. Doing things, because, you know, my name was one of the people that came up in subjects mm. access requests as well. Doing things like criticising the government for weaponising fear to make people yeah. follow the rules or perhaps questioning the validity of vaccine mandates. In other words, being patriotic British citizens, asking questions and yeah. holding the government to exactly account. Exactly right. I'm going to bring you guys in in a very short second. But let me just go back to Anna quickly. Anna, I mean, when you were in the civil service and you were talking to these people on a daily basis. Did you have any idea that this was whole this whole kind of framework of government had changed somehow? Um, I mean, I don't know when it changed, but I think it's it's been like that for a very long time, probably much longer than than I've been in it. Um, but I think to be honest, it's it's commonplace, um, it's endemic, and it's absolutely part of policy. Um, and that's both going from academia and within civil service, I'm afraid. Yeah. And the Hamas, as, as freedom fighters sort of idea, have you ever had conversations with anybody in the civil service about that? No. I mean, I think maybe it was slightly more nuanced um, than shown there in the sense that they were saying that there are a lot of people who believe that. And that was also within the context of saying that Israel is an example um, of it, that can, it can be viewed as an example of a terrorist state. Um, but I think it's deeply shameful, um, given the atrocities on the 7th of October, that there are bunches of civil servants who are in counterterrorism and they can't call counterterrorism for what it is when they see it and are instead focusing and putting weight on issues that are really not of vital importance when there are issues of vital importance. We're seeing massive problems with extremism on our streets in the UK at the moment. It's deeply unsettling and it's very scary to be Jewish at the moment in the UK. And I'm afraid that the types of things that are being taught to civil servants, things that uh, one of the slides read, terrorism is not the problem, rather the systems they oppose are terrorist. Those types of views are unfortunately um, really applicable often to Israel, wrongly, of course. But I think that type of unconscious um, influence is very damaging uh, to people who are informing and making policy um, internationally. Yeah, absolutely. Anna, great to see you. Thank you very much indeed for talking to us. Um, let me put it to you guys. I know we haven't got a lot of time, so we're going to rush through it, but we'll give you more time later, I promise. Mike, um, it's an extraordinary place to find ourselves in, isn't it? Yes, and the, when you devised the North Cotrevelian model for the civil service in the 19th century, this wasn't what was considered at the time to be the basis of it. Yeah. It's put simply, I want to see civil servants, Mike, tackling the problems that are facing this country, yeah. NHS waiting lists, rising migration, the issues that the public care about. Yeah. The civil service is consistently polling higher in trust than politicians in parliament, but they, have to, they can't take that for granted. They have to work on the issues that's important. Yes, bring in new ideas, but make them relevant mm. to the policy challenges we're facing in this country today. Yeah. And Stephen, I mean, you've, you've done some great work um, with the Home Office. You've had um, articles written about what's going on inside the Home Office where it seems to have um, an awful lot of people who are not interested in carrying out government policy. I know that in the Home Office there has been a complete shutdown on discussions of Israel and Palestine since the attacks on October the 7th. And I think that's because bosses are terrified 
of very racist comments, mm. anti-Semitic comments being made by staff. I've seen comments discussing Palestine within the Home Office, actually, before the attacks happened. Right. And I know that there's a lot of support for Palestine um, within that department. And just to say about Anna, I think she's incredibly brave. I'm so glad that she, she came out there and she exposed what's going on. There are some fantastic civil servants who are exposing this stuff. I work with them every single day. Yeah. Anna is incredible for doing what she's done there. Uh, and unfortunately, the vast majority of civil servants don't agree with Anna. And there's a very sort of, as she said, th- those attitudes are endemic within Whitehall. Yeah, it's absolutely shocking. But we'll talk more about this. We're out of time for the moment. But thank you, guys. Indeed, uh, we've got lots more to do uh, here on the show. That was our exclusive, though, The Woke on Terror. Uh, it's shock and awe, though, here at the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Up after the break, the Tories may be struggling in the elections. But what if the king of woke was to stand and steal Labour's votes? All that... Plus more, coming next. <coughs> Welcome back. You're watching The Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Now it's time for Taking the Mic. As everybody now knows, we are in an election year. But there's an awful lot of disenfranchised people out there who simply don't feel like they have anything or anyone to vote for. Well, here at the Independent Republic, we've got some ideas. After all, if that's not what we're here for, doing good for the decent citizens of this nation, then we might as well all pack up and go home. As we cast our eyes around the contenders who will be looking for our votes in a few months' time, I'm beginning to wonder if any of them will actually deserve our support. And as the supreme leader of the Independent Republic, I never endorse candidates, I never recommend parties to vote for, and I don't suggest even what you should be doing at the ballot box. However... I will recommend occasional personalities that I believe could make a difference to our lives in a positive way after Election Day. Let's start with Jonathan Gullis, a very estimable member of the Tory Parliamentary Party, elected in 2019 by the people of Stoke-on-Trent North. Jonathan has served his constituents well. He's elected to represent them at Westminster, and he's done his best to keep their well-being at the very forefront of what he does. Not for him, the wishy-washy green politics of some in the middle of the Tory party. He stood up on immigration and he stood up for children at school. Of course, he did used to be a teacher, one of the good ones. But the reason I really like Jonathan is that he's inspired the wrath of Gary Lineker, the smug BBC sports presenter that thinks the sun shines out of his backside. Lineker had the temerity to attack Jonathan in a tweet, inferring that he might not be too bright. Well, Gary, I think you've bitten off more than you could chew, mate. Here's what Jonathan had to say about it to Talk TV. It's just very sad that these so-called celebrities, the wokerati, the elites of this country, seem to think they understand how to govern the country. If Gary Lineker is so confident he could do such a great job, why not stand and run for Parliament? He's very welcome to run against me. Of course he's absolutely right, isn't he? Lineker is an ex-footballer, a multi-millionaire broadcaster, made richer each and every year by public money. Let him put his popularity to the test. Let him stand for election and see how he gets on. This year is going to be the year that the public takes back control. We need more voices like Jonathan Gullis, and if loudmouth amateurs like Gaza want to have a go, then perhaps that's a good thing for the voters. And while we're at it, let's get Carol Vorderman onto a ballot paper as well. Let the real people decide if mouthing off on social media actually means a fag end. There's already one former postmistress called Yvonne Tracy standing against Sir Ed Davey in Kingston. That should see him off and it could be the start of a people's revolution. I say power to the people. Bring it on. Now, let's go straight to the calls, because Callum is in Yorkshire. Callum, what do you want to tell me? Hi, Mike. Uh, I like the show. I like the advertising you've been getting for it. Um, Thank you. 
But I want to talk about what's happening like right now. So about half an hour ago, the British cabinet and Rishi Sunak just had a meeting. Yeah. Someone, uh, the leader of the House of Commons, Lindsay Hoyle, and someone down on all his team. They're having meetings right now uh, because the United Kingdom and the USA are about to launch airstrikes on Yemen. Yeah. Uh, and now that's one thing, uh, whether doing that is for reasons, but in every single, like, in, in British history, what has happened in every military intervention since Kosovo has been a vote in the House of Commons where our representatives, me and you, the British people, our MPs, have sat down and voted on, should yeah. we go to war, essentially? Yeah. We did it in Kosovo. We voted to go in. Same in Iraq and Afghanistan. Yeah. We didn't vote to go in in Syria in 2013. Then we voted to go in in 2015 in Libya. And then when we bombed Libya, that's what caused like yeah. the small boats crisis. You're absolutely right. Listen, you're at, Callum. Listen, you're absolutely right. But I've, I've, listen, I've got to run. Yeah. Thanks, man. I'm, I'm going I'm to keep an eye on what's going on in Downing Street. We're going to keep an eye on what's going on uh, when it comes to the Houthis as well. Because hitting you square in the face. This is the Independent Republican Mike Graham. We're looking at Trump in the next hour. Don't go anywhere. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Good evening and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. You're with Talk. We're on TV, we're on radio, we're online, and of course, we're on your smart speaker as well. Coming up in this hour, one of the investigators who helped prosecute nine postmasters says his boss has never told him about bugs in the system. And he's admitted he's not, get it, technically minded. Double decker inferno, an electric bus exploded in court fire in South London today. I've always said you can't trust these things. Prince Harry is on course to be honoured as a living legend of aviation alongside Buzz Aldrin. And that's a man who's actually put footsteps on the moon. Do you think Prince Harry is a living legend of aviation? No, me neither. Absolutely ridiculous. And of course you can get in touch with me. The Republic's phone lines and the mail room are open for business. Call us at 0344 499 1000. Text the word TALK plus your message to 87222. Or you can tweet me at TalkTV using the hashtag IROMG. Now here's a question I bet you weren't expecting. Have you ever been to Aberystwyth? It's a little seaside town in a place called Wales, which doesn't make the news 
very much at all. Wales itself has become the place that everyone says shows how badly Labour would run the country if they win the next election. Because thanks to Welsh Labour and their leader, Kim Jong Drakeford, the Principality is better known for having worse NHS waiting times than England and for locking down harder, quicker and for longer than the rest of the UK. But this week, it seems that something else is going on. Something a little bit fishy. Diffid Powys Police are investigating a hate incident in Aberystwyth where a note was left outside a property in the town telling English people with, in their words, vomit-inducing accents to leave. According to the police, the note read as follows. Isleworth Avenue was once a quiet residential area until a load of shit from the Midlands hit it. Low lives like you should be forced to live in fenced tinker sites, preferably back where you come from. Why don't you take your clapped-out crappy boats, your jeeps, your cars and your hideous vomit-inducing accents back to Brummyland and please take a few thousand your-yours with you? Absolutely extraordinary stuff. The police say the handwritten note has caused distress to the occupants of the house. It was left outside at 7pm one night earlier this week. I've only been to Aberystwyth once in my life and I remember the tide was out, exposing yards and yards of rather grey-looking rocks that made the coastline appear to be rather dreary. But it was what happened that made my visit rather odd. I was there to take a look around the university where I'd applied to study politics, obviously a long time ago. It took most of the day to get there from London, changing at Wolverhampton and Shrewsbury. I ended up on a single-track railway that could only run one train on it at a time. I was slightly early when I arrived, so I decided to have a stroll around and see what delights Aberystwyth was offer me if I moved there. And as I was walking around the streets looking for somewhere to get a bite to eat, I was vaguely aware of someone behind me. I stopped and I turned around. And he stopped too. It was a young man about the same age as me and he just stared at me. I walked on and went into a fish and chip shop. And as I waited for the food, I popped my head out of the shop and there he was, again, just standing outside, waiting, fully 15 minutes after I'd started my walk. I said to him, are you following me? He just shrugged his shoulders and said, no. I said, well, why don't you bugger off then? And he did. And that was my Aberystwyth story. It's obviously still a bit odd. Strangest story of the night, that. Tomorrow night, uh, you'll be sad to say uh, the independent Republican Mike Graham won't be here. But you do indeed have a chance to see Plank of the Week at 7pm. Let's take a look at what's coming up. She's intelligent, beautiful and vindictive. But, but that's two out of three. Oh, in other words, but also, she's a woman, so you would expect all three of those, wouldn't you? Well, you'd ex- expect you'd have to do better than that. You're going to be, be cancelled. There's, there's nothing wrong with her being. There's nothing boobs. wrong with women being vindictive. Um, yeah, there's nothing wrong with her being yeah. all boobs and bums and being a political commentator. The fact is, it's got nothing to do with her appearance. She's just wrong. Russell Quirk and Alex Salmon, the former First Minister of Scotland, of course. Later on the show, we'll bring you a first look at tomorrow's front pages. Before anyone else, uh, we've got an exclusive look at the I newspaper, and they're going with this uh, Yemeni story. UK prepares airstrikes on Yemen rebels to protect food shipping. The UK was last night poised to launch military action against Houthi rebels in Yemen in response to repeated missile and drone attacks on international shipping in the Red Sea. And, of course, um, that's going to be something that we're going to keep an eye on throughout the course of the night here at Talk TV. And we'll be talking about what possible ramifications there are with the panel as they come back. But also, we'll be asking that question, uh, which was raised by Callum on the phones just before uh, we came to this second part of the show, that has anybody actually voted on this in Parliament? The answer, of course, 
is not yet. With the 2024 Iowa caucuses looming, though, all but one of the Republican Party candidates for president squared off on the debate stage at Drake University in Des Moines on Wednesday night. Meanwhile, Donald Trump has attended the debate at his own Fox News town hall. Chris Christie has dropped out of the race, but was caught out on a hot mic criticising his fellow candidates, Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley, more or less saying that they're not up to the job. Joining me now uh, from the US of A is former Congressman Mr Joe Walsh. Joe, a very, very good evening to you. Welcome to the Independent Republican, Mike Graham. And look what they've done. They've given me a whole new set. They've given me my own portraits. You know, the place is absolutely jumping. Michael, it's good to be with the most top-rated show in the UK. <laughs> I'm very, just going to say that. Yeah, thank you very much indeed. Very good to, to see you. Before we get underway, by the way, with what's going on in the world of Trump and um, and Chris Christie and all of that, um, we're following a story just as we speak about what's happening uh, over the skies of the Yemen. It looks as though the US and the UK uh, are together putting together some kind of military strike on these Yemeni rebels to protect the Red Sea um, uh, shipping passages. What can you tell us from your end of the uh, of the Atlantic? I can tell you, Michael, that I think uh, patience here uh, within our government and a few of our allied governments, I think, has run out. And so I think some of these uh, Yemen, these Houthi rebels are going to face the wrath of the U.S. military. I think it's only going to increase. And is that a worry, do you think? I mean, is it something... I mean, Joe Biden famously doesn't really particularly want to get himself involved um, with anything in the Middle East that involves uh, US lives and certainly putting anybody at risk. This may not do that, but it's an escalation, is it not? It may be, but tough. If that's what it takes, Michael, to do what we have to do in the Middle East, defending Israel, so be it. Iran, Hezbollah, Lebanon, they, they don't want to escalate. Well, as long as they keep hitting at us, that's what they're going to risk. We have to do what we have to do. Yeah. And you've been a great supporter of Israel's actions uh, in Gaza uh, ever since October the 7th. You've been very strong on that. Um, what did you make of Anthony Blinken in the Middle East this week saying to Benjamin Netanyahu, yeah, carry on with looking after what you're doing, going after Hamas, but you're killing basically too many people? Yeah, but Michael, I got to tell you, again, I'm disappointed in some of what the Biden administration has been saying. But all in all, Biden and his team have still been really damn strong supporting Israel. So I'm going to give them a pass because I know they have to say certain things privately and certain things publicly. But we're right there. We're right there with Israel. No daylight. OK, let's talk about uh, Chris Christie. Um, he's pulled out of the race. Um, he's basically been heard, overheard on this hot mic saying that, uh, that Nikki Haley's going to get uh, smoked, I think was his word. Uh, doesn't think that she's, uh, she's any good, doesn't think she's up for the fight. Um, why do you think he's withdrawn? Has he run out of money? Has he run out of uh, the will to do it? What, what do you think it's about? Now, he could, it, it's not money and it's not will, because what we know about Chris Christie is all he cares about is Chris Christie. Yeah. It's always about advancing Chris Christie. Michael, he doesn't have and he never had a chance to win because there's no, there's no never Trump lane in this Republican Party. That would be like me or Liz Cheney running to be the Republican Party nominee. Christie is despised among Republican voters. He never, ever, ever had a shot to begin with. I do think, Michael, it's pretty selfish of him not to endorse Nikki Haley 
and to do whatever he can to try to help somebody beat Trump. Yeah, I mean, because he seems to be uh, to be a character who, as you say, has moved from sort of one side of the divide to another. He was formerly a great Trump supporter. Now he's not. You know, Trump made a joke about him, I think, just the other day on Fox, saying that, you know, he started talking to him again. Um, but Trump's just playing with all these people, isn't he? I know that, that you and I famously don't agree on Donald Trump, but, I mean, he's literally the puppet master for all these characters. He doesn't care about any of them, really, and none of them really have got a chance of getting anywhere near him. I can't stand Trump, Michael. You know that. Yeah. But look, this 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 has never been a race. This has never, ever been a race. The Republican Party is Donald Trump's more so now than a year ago, more so now than two years ago. This nomination is his, and it doesn't matter how many indictments or how many convictions. Uh, this was never a race. He's going to be the Republican Party nominee. Everybody knows that. And what, the last time I think you and I spoke, it was just uh, after the Colorado madness where the courts there had tried to stop Donald Trump from even becoming a candidate. What's the latest on that? We'll hear in a few weeks. The Supreme Court's going to hear arguments in a couple weeks, so they're going to take it up. It doesn't mean they have to rule. But, Michael, I'd be really surprised if the Supreme Court allowed Trump states to boot Trump off the ballot. I think they'll find some technicality and that issue will go away. Look, I don't want Trump to get elected, but I'd rather kick his ass at the ballot box than <laughs> kick him off the ballot. Yes. I mean, I think you would sound like a very undemocratic man, Joe, if you started saying people should be banned from standing for election because everybody should be allowed to stand for election, shouldn't they? Well, well, but Michael, a couple caveats. In America, you got to be 35 to run for president. You have to be a natural-born citizen of America to run. And technically, Michael, if you engaged in insurrection, which I believe Trump did, but who cares what I think, but if you engaged in insurrection, you cannot be president. We have a process here, and the, the Supreme Court, Congress, somebody has to determine whether he engaged yeah. in insurrection. But they have determined that That's... he hasn't. But, they, but we've had this conversation. They have determined that he did not. And no, no court in America so far has actually convicted him of, of insurrection in any way, shape or form. So you can have as many, you know, ridiculous lawsuits flying around from Florida to New York to Washington. But at the end of the day, nobody has proven that Donald Trump was involved in that word, insurrection. Well, bullcrap, my friend. It doesn't say, the Constitution doesn't say you have to be convicted of insurrection. Oh, right. It says you were found to have engaged in. Yeah, but now, who makes that Michael, decision? Yeah, but who makes it? In America, again, we have 50 states. Every state runs their own election. So in America, the state of Colorado had the right to determine he engaged in insurrection. But, Michael, Trump has the right to appeal that. Yes. He did appeal that. And I think a court will probably overrule what Colorado well, that's and Maine even, did. That's, I mean, I've lived in America, Joe. That's the maddest thing I've ever heard anybody say. And I know you're not mad. So you must be just sort of trying to push an agenda, which doesn't make any sense. You know, no. when you say Colorado determined that he was involved in insurrection, Colorado didn't. A couple of nutty Democratic judges on the Colorado Supreme Court decided that he might have been involved in insurrection, and therefore that was their ruling. It doesn't make it true. No, no, but Michael, in our country, 
those two wacky Supreme Court justices in Colorado had the authority to do what they did. Crazy. Yes. And that one person in the state of Maine had the authority to do what she did. That's how it works. Trump has the authority to appeal and a higher court can overrule what Colorado and and Maine did. Yeah. That's how our system it's works. It's completely that's, bonkers. That's our democracy every bit as much as voting. No, it's not. Absolute rubbish. So you've got some doddering old no. fool who decides that he wants some uh, some a, a person not to be allowed to run and declares that he's not allowed to run. Absolutely that's idiotic. How it works. I've got some advice for you, right? And we can take this to the uh, Supreme Court in DC. Instead of having a limit on the youngest age of the president, maybe you should have a limit on the oldest age. So, you know, you might have to be 35, but you're not allowed to be over 65. How about that? Hey, Michael, I may go in on that with you. Maybe you and I could sponsor that change to our constitution. I, I would be more than happy. Let's rope in that character from Colorado and let's just change the constitution. Sounds easy to me. Joe, great to see you. Good to talk to you. Thank you Thanks, very much Michael. indeed. Joe Walsh there, uh, once again, uh, explaining the way the constitution works in America. Absolutely bonkers, isn't it? Where some old guy decides, no, no, Donald Trump definitely was involved in insurrection. We definitely can't have him. Absolute madness. But let's keep uh, with the focus on the United States of America because this week has been a big one for the tech community as the CES tech event has been taking place in Las Vegas. The event offers an opportunity for businesses to showcase all of their new groundbreaking tech products. And it's all about AI and how they're going to take over the world, right? There's also a new mirror that might tell you the unwanted news that your days are actually numbered. I'm not sure I want one of those. So tell us more about this. Is the Assistant Technology and Science Editor at The Sun, a US Sun, of course, Charlotte Edwards, who's been trying some tech for us. Charlotte, uh, I can see you're uh, uh, right there in the middle of the uh, of the space in Las Vegas. You're not in the sphere or anything, are you? I'm not in the sphere, but I'm very close to the sphere. I might actually go there afterwards. Yeah, okay. So tell us, what's going on? I mean, I heard this was going to be a sort of festival of artificial intelligence, a festival of, uh, of interesting stuff that we might be seeing in the future. What about this mirror that tells you how long you got to live? I did test out this AI mirror. It gave me an 80 out of 100 health score, and it told me I look seven years older than I actually am. So it's not <laughs> a mirror for the faint-hearted. But yeah. it can tell you if you have a heart disease, all based on tracking the blood flow in your face. So it doesn't even have to touch you. It's really amazing technology. And I've seen lots of other things here at CES as well. I've seen flying cars, flying taxis and lots of AI robots. Right. And, I mean, we keep hearing on this side of the Atlantic every time anybody mentions AI that, you know, we've got to be very careful because the next thing that's going to happen is all of these machines are going to learn how to actually... Uh, boss us around and they're going to start taking over. Are there anybody there, is there anybody there kind of making those uh, warnings made known to everybody? So no one I've spoke to so far has raised any concerns about AI. I have been asking, I asked Samsung yesterday and they said all their AI products are for good. But of course they would say that and they are creating technology for the home. But it's more the AI outside of the home that people are worried about. You know, AI can create weapons, it can do dangerous things, and a lot of experts have signed open letters already calling for more to be done to stop AI being progressed progress so rapidly because it could be dangerous in the future. Yeah, absolutely right. Tell us about the supercar. Um, what does it look like? You know, how, how much does it fly around? How easy is it to, to control? So the supercar that I saw was from a Chinese brand. It can't actually fly, so they unveiled it and they showed how the propellers shoot up from the roof. 
but it doesn't fly yet. They are, however, releasing a flying car this year, which separates into two parts. And then you can fly one of the parts a bit like a microlite. That's coming out at the end of 2024. And it should cost around $2,000. Actually, $200,000. Right. $2,000 $2, $2, $2, $2, $2, $2, $2, $2, $2, $2, $2, sounds like a bargain. I mean, it's a lot cheaper than Tesla. Yeah. Um, but what about the robot companion? Because the worry that a lot of people have got about AI is that it's all very well saying that you can talk to these things and it's going to be great for people who are lonely. But they're quite woke, presumably, a lot of these AI robots, aren't they? I mean, presumably, AI robots are not designed to be objectionable or nasty or right-wing. Yeah, so the AI robots that I've seen are very friendly. Samsung has released Borley, which it did try and release back in 2020. And it received a lot of backlash as people thought it was quite creepy. It was shown in a video watching users sleep. This time they've gone <laughs> with a different angle and they've shown Borley saving a marriage by reminding someone that it's their anniversary. Borley can help you work out. It can ring people for you. And LG have also released their own robot. It's called Q9. And that does similar things. It helps around the home and watch your pets for you. And it can even alert if there's intruders in the home. Right. Oh, well, that might be good for, for Lizzie Cundy. What about um, the one that can read your emotions? There's a robot that can do that as well, right? Mm -hmm. So Borley actually has capabilities to read your emotions. If you come home and you walk through the door and you're looking quite sad, it might play you a song to cheer you up. It is programmed to try and help you with your mood and make you feel better when you're at home. Have they got one that cooks for you as well? They haven't got one that cooks quite yet. I mean, I did see one that's not for home use, that's for restaurants, and it can make a stir fry. Right. Um, but Borley can't cook, but it can recommend recipes for you. Okay. And uh, what's it like there? Is it very geeky? I mean, there are lots of sort of geeky people walking around talking about the future, futurists telling you how your life is going to change and that, you know, nothing will ever be the same ever again. There are a lot of people who are very passionate about technology and the future, and they're all very excited. I've not met anyone who's scared about the AI revolution. Everyone seems very positive here, and I've seen some amazing technology that could actually change the world. Right. And is there something... I mean, quite often at these exhibitions, there's one thing that sort of becomes... Um, available on the market, if you like. You know, like years and years ago, nobody would have believed you could have an, app, an Apple Watch that can do all the things that it can do. Is there going to be one sort of emerging um, device that's going to come out of this kind of thing? People seem to really like um, their transparent TV screens. LG has created one. So it makes your TV look a bit like a fish tank. There's nothing there. And then when you turn it on, all the images appear. It's quite 3D. And they seem really popular. So oh. I think... They're going to be released this year, earlier this year. So you might see more transparent TVs in homes. So what? So it's like when it's on the wall, it looks like a mirror or something like that? It looks like clear glass and right. you can set it to look like a painting or whatever you want it to look like. And then when you switch it on, it becomes your TV. Oh, OK. Oh, well, maybe we'll, we'll, we'll get one of those down here and we'll check it out. Great to see you. Thank you very much uh, indeed. Uh, of course... Um, Charlotte is always over there in America for us, looking out uh, for all the good things. Charlotte Edwards, Assistant Technical and Science Editor at the US Sun. It's down in Las Vegas for us, checking out all the AI. This is the mighty independent Republic of Mike Graham. Coming up on the other side, the fallout of the post office horizon scandal rages on, and England's big hope of the 2000s reveals he's now tragically suffering from terminal cancer. That and all the rest of the big stories and the front pages stay right there.
Welcome back. Now, lots of you have been getting in touch. You can have your say, of course, at all the socials at Talk TV and on the phones, 03444991000. The panel are going to be back in very shortly. We're going to be looking at all the papers and seeing what's going on uh, on the front pages and some of the pages inside as well. well let's go to a caller right now. Ben uh, is in Lincoln. Hello, Ben. Hi, am I? You're right. Yeah, very well, sir. What can I do for you? Well, I was just uh, listening appalled at what uh, Laura was speaking about uh, in terms of um, 19... Um, George Orwell, C.S. Lewis, yeah. Tolkien, they're all being red flagged. Now, this woke ideology, particularly the trans stuff, it's aggressive, it's prevalent, it's authoritative, and it seems to be goal-oriented. It's in law enforcement, education, and academia, business, uh, advertising. It's even in the Crown Prosecution Service, for yeah. God's sake. I mean, what's it doing there? You know, and it seems to me that it's always the Judeo-Christian narrative that's the target it seems to me um and i'm thinking what could do this you know what could orchestrate something of this magnitude because this is not just the ebb and flow of of culture or no. political correctness gone mad it seems to be uh, a bit more focused than that and the only thing i can think of is it's intelligence agencies. I don't quite know why it's happening. It seems that the there's a takedown underway of the Judeo-Christian West, it seems to me. Uh, I mean, things like people's bank accounts being closed for ideological reasons, parents of trans kids being threatened with seven years in jail if they discourage uh, the process. Yeah, up in Scotland, uh, yeah. You know, collectivizing technology like those phone alerts, immigration. Well, the concept of nationhood is being eroded. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm just wondering if there's going to be some sort of critical mass of consensus yeah. that people will realize that this is really actually serious and we need to be, uh, well, we need to be worried about this. It's, yeah, I wonder if it's, it's something uh, that Peter Hitchens talks about quite a lot, which was kind of born out of the Tony Blair years, where there was a conscious effort to redefine the state, if you like, redefine absolutely. some of the state's um, sort of departments and some of the state's, um, you know, kind of engineering works, if you like. And so, you know, suddenly we've got a Supreme Court now, which we didn't used to have. Suddenly there's the European right. Union that we didn't used to have. And suddenly there's all these pronouncements being made. And suddenly there's a stonewall list that you have to be on if you want to be a successful company. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I, I see what you're saying. I don't disagree with it. I don't think that it's people being particularly um, well organised. I think it's just that those of us who are normal are not very well organised. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. You may have a point there, um, uh, but uh, it's it's just it re it's really really concerning. I'm it sure is. a lot of people uh, watching this will agree. I mean, 2023 was it really showed its teeth, and you know, I'm not I'm not looking forward to this year, but um, you know, we'll 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 see um, yeah. how it turns out. But yeah, whatever it is. It's it's serious and it, it really it really is. is. No, you're absolutely right, Ben. Thank you very much for your call. Well, Laura Dodsworth's back here, so let's uh, let's bring bring you back into that conversation. I mean, Ben, I think well, like a lot of people, is very concerned about the way things are going, but I always slightly shy away from those who think that it's a you know it's a, it's a sort of combined effort by lots of different organisations and lots of different people. Am I wrong about that? No, I mean, fantastic caller. You always get good callers. We do. The thing is, what he's doing makes a lot of sense. Human beings look for meaning and so they join the dots. And yeah. it's a sign of intelligence to do so. It was a conspiratorial premise 
that everything that's happening is coordinated in, by intelligence agencies. No, it's possible. I mean, the only true conspiracy theory would be that powerful people don't conspire in yeah. their interests. They do all the time. It could be something completely different. You could say it's the devil, you know, if you're a hardcore um, religious yes. person. I mean, there's, there's, but it also can be that, um, in fact, some of our institutions have become weakened through other factors, almost coincidentally. It doesn't have to be a coordinated attempt, yes. which is what he was suggesting. But I think the problem is that so much feels like it's gone wrong, that for a lot of people there is a feeling of a net tightening of institutions captured by ideology and of truth itself just being at risk. Yeah. Because the thing is, some of the most basic truths, like the difference between a man and a woman, are constantly yeah. contested. It's completely mad. So that sort of sense of discomfort, I think, is shared by a lot of people. I don't share his pessimism about 2024. No, I though. think 2024 I, is going to be quite interesting, actually. I really think so, because I think if somebody as polite and charming as myself is ready to say, no, enough's enough, I'm mm. just not doing it anymore, I'm not doing the pronouns, I'm not doing this, yeah. that and the other, and I think that actually it's quite hopeful because people are now saying, you know, something feels wrong yes. and we want to get life back on Well, track. I wonder, and I was talking to somebody about this earlier today, Michael, I'll ask you this question, that the, the sort of the, the post office scandal has kind of polarised an awful lot of people's views and kind of concentrated a lot of people's views. They kind of knew something was wrong. And this really illustrates what's wrong. You know, here we have a state organisation, a state-run organisation that didn't want to listen to the ordinary people and just wanted to say, no, 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 you little people don't matter. We'll tell you what's going on and we're going to lock you all up. It's striking that, of course, this is a wholly owned public service. The government is the shareholder, but that's the taxpayer yeah. underwrite it. They talk about post office money in yeah. these, you know, the, the files and the, docu and the, the drama, which is, of course, excellent, well worth watching. Yeah. It comes back to, though, that there isn't a conspiracy here, but there is an innate cultural sense of many institutions that they have to protect themselves, protect mm. their own. Public institutions serve the public. The clue is in the name yes. here. But have they stopped doing that? Well, look, I think we have to look at the fact that trust in a variety of democratic institutions has fallen to record lows. The UCL Constitution Unit and the OECD have both found this in the last 12 months or so. And, you know, it's most acute with our democratic institutions and the government, but things like the civil service, the courts, the post office, the media, the mainstream media, are all increasingly being questioned by people and they're looking to other sources. Yeah. Is this the basis for a society to continue to operate without trust and consent? I would say no. I, I well, this is why I wonder... Let me just go to Stephen to say something here, because I just wonder if this is the year that the people kind of fight back a little bit, perhaps. You know, we keep hearing that we're going to take back control and we never really do. But, you know, there's one thing that I'm encouraged by and there's a woman who's a former sub-postmistress who's running against Sir Ed Davey in Kingston um, at the election. And I think she'll win. Well, we saw Anna earlier being interviewed yeah. about her story in terms of the civil service and exposing what was going on there. So that's quite a hopeful example of someone who's fighting back against yeah. things that she obviously saw that was outrageous. And as I said earlier, I've seen, I meet many civil servants who uh, are sort of happy to expose this stuff and, and discuss these stories with me. So there are, on individual levels, I think there's some really inspirational cases. Alan Bates obviously being a yeah. fantastic example of that. But if you're talking about the Peter Hitchens mood in the talk TV studios. Mm. I think there's also a sort of pessimistic strain in me that says, well, actually, in 2024, Keir Starmer is very likely to become prime minister and Labour will only be pushing these ideas even more within the civil service. At the moment, there are some checks and balances from some ministers, from, from some special advisors who are saying, no, put a sort of break on this mm. stuff. But when Labour gets in power, who knows what's going to happen? Mm. Well, this is it. I mean, Labour have so far given us this great idea that uh, they're going to make children taller 
apparently. <laughs> and we're not quite sure how they're going to do that. We put them on Procrustes rack. I love the ambition. I know. Maybe they could try out Sadiq Khan first. This is the problem with, with Labour, though. And actually, it's exactly the same problem as I think as we had the, with, the, with the post office, which, you know, part of that, part of that scandal is a reliance on technocratic thinking. There's this huge trust in a system in Horizon. It's the same kind of trust that leads people to, uh, you know, believe shady climate change models yes. or COVID modelling. Right. You know, sometimes the boffins aren't right and it's this reliance on state machinery. So, of course, Keir Starmer is... Um, you know, put forward his nanny state proposals that children need to have supervised toothbrushing yes. at school. Um, I mean, it's not necessarily a bad idea, but dental problems are very linked with socioeconomic factors. Yeah. Really, what you need to do is it might tackle be a better idea social to make inequality. It for children to have a dentist, absolutely, as opposed course, to you know, which they currently can't do. Eight out of ten dentists won't take um, children as NHS pa yeah. patients or, or adults as as NHS right. patients. You know, there's a, there's a lot wrong. Just you know, making teachers supervise toothbrushing is is not really tackling the no. problem. It's it's the filling, not why they got the hole in the tooth in the first place. It's a preventative place. health measure. It's actually looking at the fact that the best cause of hospital, the biggest cause of hospitalisation for ages six to ten, is tooth decay, and children are having to go to hospital, be put under anaesthetic, and have teeth yanked out. Labour has got a costed commitment on this, but seven hundred thousand extra dental appointments, one hundred eleven million, isn't going to touch the sides. We need to see them go further, but we also need to see children at a younger age be incentivised and educated to take better care of their teeth. And if schools are going to do that, I'm fully behind it. I think that's a great idea. If it keeps but schools, out unfortunately, haven't necessarily got the bandwidth, though. They're always no, absolutely. That they haven't got them. time to do all sorts of things. Love now, them to be where are they going to find, to read. you know, five minutes every day to teach children how to clean their teeth? I mean, yeah. When they shouldn't be doing it, really. And also, that won't help the kids when they go home, because if the kids have got parents who don't even let them know how to clean their teeth, absolutely. then there's going to be lots of other problems as well, this right? This is why education has to begin with the parents as well, and that's something Keir Starmer was talking about today. Look, I think his, his use of the nanny state label is probably a little unhelpful, but you know, we still haven't seen this government's dental recovery plan yet. People over there watching this programme can't get an NHS dentist appointment. The NHS is only funded up to 45% if it can deploy all its resources mm. for all dental care in this country. Sunak claims to have kept the, the cash settlement you know, as it is, but it's actually fallen due to inflation in recent years. Whoever has an argument to dentistry and solves that problem, there's going to be a big vote winner at the election. If people want to see change, they do need to tell that to their local MPs and vote this year, yeah. like you say. And maybe tell these people that, you know, why don't you get your teeth sorted out when you're younger rather than waiting to go to Turkey um, when you go <laughs> there and somebody cold. takes out one of your kidneys while they've given you a filling. You know, I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous. Um, we've got a few other stories to talk about. Um, obviously, the post office story does rumble on um, and we don't yet know where that's all going to end. But, you know, some people are now suggesting... Um, that Mr Bates shouldn't just get a knighthood, he should give him an actual peerage, because then he could be part of the lawmaking process. And if anything like this ever happens again, he might actually be able to spot it, unlike most of the MPs who didn't seem to know what was going on. Isn't it funny how a TV drama has sparked all of this backlash? Yeah. And suddenly the government has started to give in and, and have all these fantastic ideas yeah. about giving Alan Bates a knighthood. I mean, wasn't it this government that gave Paula Venables the her it was. Uh, gong in the first place? Yeah. And now they're trying to take it away. So it's yeah. a load of hypocrisy. Well, there is it? a lot of hypocrisy. And, and while yeah. I'm, I'm quite grateful to her for having given it back, it's you know it doesn't stop there and it shouldn't stop there and it shouldn't just be all about her. But it does seem to me that, as I say, the reason why I think this has become such a, a focal point of everybody's interest is because they've been looking for something to kind of illustrate what everything that's gone wrong. 
and it does illustrate everything that's gone wrong. It illustrates yeah. everything that's wrong with the electoral system, everything that's wrong with the sort of the, the deep state, if you want to call it that, the fact that the post office could run so horribly over these people without ever being, you know, caught up or called up and called out on it. Um, and, you know, they paid people to, to, to get bonuses to put people in prison. It was extraordinary. Isn't it funny how this drama is so popular, so successful, for, I think, because of the, some of the reasons you just mentioned, yeah. but also it doesn't patronise people. No. And it, and it sort of represents Middle England very yeah. well, and it represents ITV's viewers very well, and for once it's not sort of looking down on them or no. trying to force some sort of diversity on them. And it hasn't made, made sure that, you know, a couple of the people who are, you know, portrayed are, are different colours or, you know, maybe they're in a wheelchair or disabled in some way. They've actually just told a story as it was. It just it seems was. very normal, doesn't it? Yeah, it does, and I think that's what people found kind of kind of quite attractive about it. Um, we're going to look at some of the front pages coming up um, with the panel as well. We're just going to mention to you, because it's on one of the front pages, um, Sven Joran Eriksson, uh, he's on the front of Metro saying, I have a year to live and I appreciate every single day. He's, of course, the former England coach because he's going to be on um, talk uh, today, tomorrow. He's going to be on The Breakfast Show. Uh, let's have a look at this. Oh, sorry. I thought we had a promo. My apologies. Um, very sad story. Sven Joran Eriksson was always a sort of a, a, a figure that everybody quite liked in this country, uh, a Swede who managed the England football team. But he will be on breakfast tomorrow. So if you want to watch that, uh, please do. Shall we talk about um, Prince Harry? Apparently, he's going to be made uh, an aviation legend. Because Is that because he flew of as number two guy in a helicopter <laughs> in Afghanistan. Oh, so not because of all the flying he does everywhere to polo matches no. or to parties. I mean, that would be a better, a better reason that to give it to him. That makes him an aviation It would make him surely. an aviation uh, specialist, wouldn't it? No, but apparently um, he's, he's won the award over Tim Peake, who was actually in uh, the military for about twice as long, uh, has actually been in space and has been on the... Uh, uh, been on the first, I think he was the first Briton to walk in space uh, on the International Space Station, but they've given it to Prince Harry instead. He's got a fairy godmother. He must do. There could be no explanation well, there are for beating Tim Peake to the award. Types who say that um, he sort of asked for it. Um, <laughs> I don't These know were his true. Hollywood chums, weren't they? Who yeah. awarded him this sort of? He's honor. going to be given it to given it's meaning given to him by John Travolta. Oh well, that's he's got his own plane. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, yeah. it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because Harry was snubbed recently from a list of I think a hundred people in the armed forces, in, in the British armed forces in yeah. Afghanistan. And he was very upset about that because his brother wasn't. Yeah. Um, so I think in compensation, he's been given this award by his Hollywood chums as a sort of little consolation prize. Yes. And funny enough, William actually was uh, out, I think, yesterday, just visiting somewhere or other, and he came upon um, a member of the public who said, oh, I'm so grateful that, for you because you rescued me. And apparently when he was in the, uh, the Air Sea Rescue up in North Wales, he rescued this woman and her entire family um, from being drowned on a beach somewhere in Wales. And he'd never mentioned it before. And, and it was suddenly a story of actual somebody doing something really nice for people. And he didn't sort of bum about it and write a book about it, unlike his brother, you know. So there we are. But yeah, so he's going to be in the, uh, the, 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 uh, the sort of the pantheon of this place, which is the legends of aviation with Neil Armstrong, who walked on the moon and also told me to F off once when I tried to interview him. Buzz Aldrin, uh, who also walked on the moon and went a bit mad. Um, Jeff Bezos, who's actually flown into space. Tom Cruise, because, of course, you know, you would put Tom Cruise in there because he's been in a couple of films. Um, Harrison Ford, who's a pilot. And Elon Musk, who launched the SpaceX rocket programme. Harrison Ford, famously a terrible pilot as well. Um, yeah, did he crash or something? <laughs> he's crashed quite a few times. Yes, <laughs> he has. So, yeah, it's one of these typically American things, isn't it? And this seems to be what Harry and Meghan now do. They just turn up and get awards for things. Like, Meghan will get one for 
you know, greatest uh, mindfulness debate or something like that, you know, <laughs> worst podcast or something, you know. But they'll just, they'll just keep turning up at places and getting given things. Do you know who I think should have got this award instead? Nigel Farage. Now, he was in a, a plane crash. He was in oh, a plane crash. Oh, wow, that is that So, is I mean, I think, you know, if, he's, if, if Harry's getting the award, where's Nigel's award? He needs more Hollywood friends. Well, Frankie Dettori was talking to Piers Morgan tonight. He's, he's gone back to his career of, 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 of being a jockey, but he's doing it in the United States. And he was talking about his plane crash. And he, I mean, the pilot in his plane crash actually died. It was a horrific story. Mm. And you forget that, and he said he didn't fly for something like 15 years afterwards. I mean, I, I'd personally root for the Bruce Dickinson, the front man of Iron Maiden, you know, airline pilot yes. expression as well. Absolutely. Like 666, I, I, I'm, you know, why hasn't he got this award? I know, mean, you know, it's, it's a good question. It's interesting that we're on Mike's show, obviously, we're, we're obsessed with wokeism, and there's some really interesting stories in America at the moment to do with aviation, actually. Yeah where you're seeing a lot of aviation uh, crises and sort of crashes and things. Well, that window you saw that window. Out, the Boeing right, thing. Exactly. And lots of people in America are saying, well, actually, we're really concerned about the kind of woke infiltration of the aviation industry right. because they're now promoting women and minority pilots above sort of male white right. pilots in their recruitment drive. And people are very concerned because they're lowering standards in order to do Well, this. the thing is, whenever anybody um, puts wokeism into anything, whether it's a civil service or whether it's a company or whether it's an organisation or a football team, they forget get what the job is, don't they? Because they become like Nat West Bank. They became obsessed with, you know, uh, you know, recyclable carpets and, yeah. and people's political opinions. And they weren't actually doing the banking that they were meant to be doing. But you could see yeah. something really serious here. You could see a real plane crash with hundreds of people dying if you're starting to lower yeah. standards on, on sort of pilots and things yeah, like that. Yeah, or the guys <laughs> checking the safety yeah, of the wheels exactly. and the windows. Well, it's a similar thing with army recruitment, isn't it? Some of the, especially in the US, some of the army recruitment has been very geared towards um, LGBT yeah. minorities and women. And you wonder what sort of fighting operations they'll end up yes. with at the end of it. We have no quotas here at the Independent Republic, you'd be pleased to know. Uh, you are <laughs> I'm watching... here on my own merit. Yeah, you are, absolutely <laughs> right. You are watching the incredible Independent Republic, Mike Graham. Coming up after the break, buckle up, because we're going to take a trip to the world of woke. We're having a sneak peek at tomorrow's front pages, of course, as well. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back. You're watching The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk TV. Now, it's time for this. Now, there are some things that happen in the world of woke that are simply too ridiculous to even try and explain. It could be the use of a new word to say something like problematic or triggering, which we hear now on a daily basis. But today's entry for the category is not so much about a woke reaction to something that is real. Rather, it is the epitome of where the woke world has taken us. For instance, would you consider it woke to congratulate someone for losing a sporting contest as if they'd won it? Just because you thought taking part was the most important thing, would you consider handing out an award to someone just because of what they represented rather than what they'd achieved? You see, I have a reason for asking. Because Harry the Herbert, or the bloke formerly known as Prince Harry, is about to be given yet another award. But this one isn't for the best podcast or the most mindful individual. No, it's not even for putting up with Meghan week in and week out with her constant demands. This one is an aviation award, yep. But it's not just any old aviation award, like a frequent flyer, mile-high achievement or something. This is because he is a legend of aviation and will be crowned as such at a glitzy ceremony in Beverly Hills next Friday, where a table will set you back 30,000 quid. Even though he was only ever number two in a helicopter in Afghanistan, he will join other legends like Buzz Aldrin and Neil Armstrong, who went to the moon. And he's even pipped British astronaut Tim Peake to the honour. Absolutely incredible. The same Tim Peake who served in the British Army for 17 years, not 10, who achieved the rank of major, not just captain like Harry, 
and who happens to have been the first Briton to have walked in space during a trip to the International Space Station. Not everyone is impressed, of course. Lord Alan West, the former first sea lord and chief of the naval staff, said, he is not a living legend of aviation. To suggest he is, is pathetic. It makes the whole thing seem a bit of a nonsense. If they're willing to pick Prince Harry, I find it extraordinary. Extraordinary indeed, but that is the world of work. My panel is back with me and we're having a look at tomorrow's stories today. But before we do that, we should look at a story that happened actually today in London. It was a bus that went on fire. And guess what kind of bus it was? It was an electric bus. And you can see the flames there roaring around. I think it was somewhere down near Croydon. Um, and there was some awful, horrible black smoke coming off the thing. And as ever, whenever something like this happens, all the kind of eco-nutters go, oh, well, vehicles go on fire all the time. <laughs> well, actually, no, they don't go on fire all the time. I mean, I did a story just yesterday. There was a terrible um, inquest that was held um, about an old-age pensioner who died in a fire because the fire had been started by an e-bike, which was wrongly converted, and the, the batteries just went on fire when they were charging it, and the house burned down. This poor old guy died. I mean, I'm very unsure about um, electric vehicles and these batteries, and so are a lot of insurance companies, because they've actually said, we're no longer going to insure them. Mm. I think up to 2022, mm. in five years, up to 2022, 19 buses, electric buses, yeah. obviously, needless to say, burst into flames. But you do find these kind of fact-checking exercises. Are electric vehicles really more likely to burst into flames right. than other vehicles? No, they're so good for the planet. Right. And then you look at the stats, it's not true. And we, we never get these news stories about no. normal vehicles bursting into flames. Now, do you remember there was this kind of furore about electric scooters? Yes. And, and the danger of those batteries. Now, I know electric scooters and buses won't necessarily be the same. They might be different batteries. But there was plenty of, plenty of, you know, oomph behind the idea that electric scooters might be dangerous. Yeah. Because, of course, they're not legal on the roads. But while these sort of nonsense targets are being foisted right. from above us that we should be converting to electric vehicles, it's like they don't want to admit you know, that they funny. actually it are dangerous. Back, it takes us back to a bit what Stephen was saying, because what's um, not legal is um, an electric scooter that you can buy yourself but what is legal is the one that you can rent from some company which is going to make a load of money out of it, you know? So I you can't actually have your own one. <laughs> it's a bit like these people that say, oh, you don't really want a car, do you? Why don't you just rent one when you need it? But that is the way of the world because, you know, there are people that want us to be leasing vehicles yeah. and not owning them. Right. And of course, then you, the consumer, will never win because you'll be paying every month to... Mm. To, to borrow something rather yes. than own it yourself, in which case the depreciation costs would be less on a monthly basis. Yeah, it's, it's true. a stitch up. No, it Ma is a stitch up. Mike, I don't know if you, if you ever use a bus, but I might have to start. I do. Oh, you do? Okay. I have. I mean, I, 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 used to, I don't use them as much as I used to, but I mean, London's very well served by buses. Well, I, I might know. start checking if the. Well, they should tell us if the buses are electric, first yeah. of all, before you get on, because perhaps that's more dangerous. They should put a little, a little sign on the thing. Yeah, I agree. Well, it's easy with cars because they've got a little green strip on the number plate. I don't know if they do the same with buses. But, yeah, I mean, all I know about buses in London, is far too many of them, is every time you walk around, anywhere around this, this area of London Bridge, there's about ten buses all yeah. sitting. Well, you are by a bus with, station, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but there's nobody in them, though. No, you're right, there's too many buses, not enough cars. Yeah. I had to drive into London the other weekend. Right. And, you know, you think, grey, empty roads, because everyone's paying those the tax to drive in. Yeah. But, you know, parking was a nightmare. It cost me £30 right. to park for three hours near Vauxhall. I had to drive. Well, you're lucky. The I shouldn't, even have, to, I shouldn't well. even have to explain myself. I wanted to drive. You wanted to, yeah. That's and I, I had I to. Yeah, exactly right. Now, what about pronouns? I don't know if you've got an, an iPhone, but if you try to look lately at your contacts in the iPhone, 
um, you'll find that as well as putting people's numbers and their occupation and, yeah. and their possible um, uh, various different names, you now look at what you've seen there and it, you've actually got a place to put a pronoun in as well. What should I put in for you, Mike? Well, um, I mean, actually, let me mention your... Done, I think they've actually done one for me, um, which is something uh, where... It, I don't know if you can read that, but it says something like, you know, the Supreme Commander um, <laughs> of the Independent Republic, the Excellency, something like that. Um, the so Mike that's what I expect everybody to put in for me. I'm doing um, it. I'm going to update your listing. But why? I mean, I don't want my pronouns put into these bloody things. It's ridiculous. <laughs> um, a couple of stories from the front pages of the papers. Um, you've got a lot of the hooty stuff going on. Um, Front page of the Telegraph, though, here's one for you. Met murder detectives facing cuts as homicides rise. We started off the show tonight with a, a sort of explosion of crime. Scotland Yard apparently are going to cut the number of murder detectives in London, despite the fact that homicide rates are actually rapidly rising. Why? Trans I, thought that, I thought the police were trying to get themselves back to being actual proper policemen. I, I think it's terrifying because in London, as you say, knife crime is going up and, you know, walking around... Murder's going up. Murder's going up. We need these people investigating these crimes. So yeah. why are they reassigning them to other uh, parts of the Met? It seems absolutely mad to me. Well, they say they're moving them from um, murder command to fill gaps in other frontline units tackling crimes such as burglary and assault. The move is intended to address the shortfall in recruitment and to ensure the best detectives are spread across the force. They're probably taking... The murder squad guys are probably quite good at what they do. So they're going to take people away from something they're good at and put them in something they're not good at. The pronoun department. The pronoun department and maybe a <laughs> bit of dancing with just a Hoyle, you know, when they decide to barricade Westminster Bridge. I mean, it is quite depressing, isn't it? It also says, it is part of the Met's uh, commitment to prioritise community policing in order to rebuild trust and confidence. How is that going to rebuild <laughs> trust and confidence by taking away the murder detectives and putting them in other departments? If you want right. to rebuild trust and confidence with people in London in particular, where there are lots of knife crime and murders and things like that, I think they should invest more in detectives investigating well, also, these murders. who are they rebuilding trust with? Mm. Is there any point in rebuilding trust with criminals? I don't <laughs> think there is. I mean, criminals don't like the police. They commit crime. So you don't, they don't need to trust you. You don't need to trust them. I think there's a real problem here, as you say, with what the Met is focusing on in terms of its priorities. So, like, a lot of Met police officers are now arresting people for tweets, yeah. arresting people for things that they're saying in WhatsApp groups that might be offensive. Right. Instead, they should be focusing on very important things like tackling knife crime and tackling murders yeah, and things like and that. Yeah, and solving murders. Yeah, That would absolutely. be nice. Yeah, I think we've got more murders already before um, the first two weeks of January than we've ever had. We've got five or six murders already. Um, going back to the post office, front page of The Telegraph, uh, the post office investigators were accused of behaving like mafia gangsters as their bullying tactics were laid bare at this public inquiry that's been, that's been going on. It's very sort of mid-level gangsters, isn't it? Yeah. Like bureaucrats in the post office. But, but it is a sort of mafia, isn't it? I mean, and the way that they treated these people, again, the sort of more working class yeah. and traditional parts of the communities in very sort of local towns yeah. versus these people who lived in sort of London and, and, and bigger cities who worked in these very kind of high-level jobs, they treated people a bit But they also lied to them. You know, there's yeah. an awful lot of perjury cases, I think, that are going to have to be uh, put together after this because many of these people were told, you're, well, you're the only person that's had a problem. That's it. It's very mafia-esque because all those people were totally unconnected. They didn't know it was happening to so many others. They didn't know they were being lied to. It's such a sickening story. Yeah, it really is. And for those people who like to see council tax going up, households in Birmingham face a 21% rise in council tax, which will add £350 extra 
to your bill. Well, the backdrop of this is, of course, that many local authorities are claiming they don't have the resources to right. meet even frontline services. Well, they're one of the first, aren't they? But exactly. Be many more to go. And Birmingham is one of the biggest local authorities in Europe. It's you know, obviously there are protected services, but again, there's finger pointing going all around, yeah. and it's going to be uncomfortable reading not just for local government, but also for the prime minister and the government yeah. going into this year if more and more local authorities file Section One One Four notices. And this is the thing, it's always us that ends up putting the bill. I mean, I was saying this the other day about the post office. It's all very well. And yes, they should get compensation. And yes, they should be more uh, offered more than 75000 But it shouldn't be coming from us, should it? I don't think so. I mean, Birmingham City Council, it's interesting that Labour also, this is a sort of, I think, a sneak peek to what a Labour government might look, yeah. might look like. Sort of our taxes going up. Although, having said that, the Tories would be doing the exact I mean, same thing anyway. I mean, say it can't get worse, but it can, can't yeah, it? Yeah, I think so. What, what about the Sun front page? I'm fascinated in this yes. story, Mike. Why don't you explain well, it to this me? Well, this is a sort of Wang of the Christie Mark II. <laughs> uh, it's a guy called Carl Walker, um, who is an England f- footballer. Uh, he's worth 27 million quid. He's been playing for Manchester City for a very long time. But he appears to have what might be described as a wandering eye, uh, if you were to be old-fashioned about it. Um, worse than that, he appears to have two loved children with another woman. And uh, his childhood sweetheart, who he's married to, has put up with a lot of this stuff for a long time. She's finally lost the plot and gone, that's it, I've had enough. And unfortunately for him, um, he doesn't have a prenup. So she's going to take him to the cleaners. No, Mike. What's yeah. unfortunate is there are children who aren't growing up in a nice, stable family and he's setting a terrible example. Well, he's a footballer. For... I mean, yeah, I know, but know, I mean, this is... One this of the is... things he was famous for doing was exposing himself in a bar about a year or so ago and also for, for having sex in the back of his Bentley with somebody he didn't know very well. Oh, it's his doesn't children. make him a bad person, but, it, you know. Well, it, mm, doesn't it? It does serve no. a bad reputation. I, I He's think, a footballer. I think, it's, I think it's really sad for It is sad. It is sad, but, you know, these, this is the modern world and you'll be happy to know that he gets half of his fortune removed from him surgically by his ex-wife. There we are. Uh, anyway, that's all from me tonight. You've been watching The Independent Republican, Mike Graham. Thank you to all the guests. I'll see you tomorrow, 7pm, Plank of the Week. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.